0: Hates. Hope Not Hate are basically controlling breath. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backward thinking, virtue, virtue signaling, fake news. Hello and welcome to the Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm Matthew McGregor. In recent years, young people have been bombarded with more and more extremist content whenever they're online. So it's no wonder that there is an increasing problem of radicalization amongst school-aged students. To help teachers see and counter this threat, the Hope Not Hate Education and Training Team have published Signs of Hate, a resource for teachers. To mark the launch, I took some time to find out more about the scale of the threat. I talked to our education director, Owen Jones, about the resource and to Jackie, a teacher to talk about the impact on children. But I started by asking Patrick Hermanson, Hope Not Hate's lead researcher on digital hate about the scale of the problem.
1: It's of course incredibly tricky to give hard numbers on these sorts of things, but what we are observing is um, an increasing number of young people and increasing number of of very young people, um, early teens, children really, um, who engage very actively with the far right in multiple different chat rooms, different social media platforms, um live stream and really take part in um the far right in in uh online um, but also some offline.
0: And w- can you say a little bit about the the nature of the content that they're seeing? How how extreme are we talking about?
1: It's a broad range, I think. And that's that's also a worry. Um so we find young people in um groups that don't endorse violence um that uh, you know hand out leaflets and they are clearly um racist and extreme um but uh they are on 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 kind of the right side of the law still um but um, we have a few cases over the last year of, of extremely young people engaging in, in really the, the most extreme elements of the far right, the, the parts of the far right that encourage terrorism. Um, and we find young people who um, express these ideas, uh, urge other young people and even people that are actually older than themselves to um, act uh, um, to commit violent attacks. There seems to be uh, quite few boundaries here. They are willing to share um, everything. It's it's Holocaust denial, it's uh, endorsement of previous terrorist attacks, it's it's direct um, encouragement of violence.
0: And how does the process of this work? I mean, are people searching out for this extreme material or is it, you know, we've read a lot about the algorithm recommending some of this content is it a bit of both? How, how, how do people go down this rabbit hole, as people like to
1: call it? Probably a bit of both. Um, I think part of this problem uh, stems from, from how the far right communicates. And right now, um, that trend leans quite heavily on uh, social media platforms where young people hang out. So it's live streaming, using live streaming services that are also used for uh, live streaming uh, gaming where you find a lot of very young people um, in gaming platforms themselves. So games often have a chat system. And next to that, there is platforms like Instagram that has predominantly quite young, a young audience. Um, And there they could come across it um, by by accident. Uh, But more often probably uh, it's recommended by a friend uh, or um, they might like something that is not directly far-right but adjacent to it or uh, where there's some sort of overlap I- into the far-right, some topic that the far-right might also be interested in but might not be far-right themselves, like ARMY-related stuff. Um, and from there, the, al- the algorithm and the recommendation systems can play a role. Uh, we find in our research that, that Instagram quite heavily um, promotes um, that type of content. Once you've taken that little first step, but but you have to take that first step actually.
0: And for those people who maybe don't spend a lot of time on on some of these platforms, um, can you talk a little bit about the kind of content that we're that you're seeing in in the research? This is not kind of blog posts and slickly made videos per se. There's a lot of uh, memes and and what they consider humorous content. Um, Talk a little bit about the kind of internet culture of this kind of space.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you won't find much long form writing here. Um, it's short. It's snappy. Sometimes it's uh, humoristic. It's um, it it leans towards um, stuff that they know is offensive. So to cause offense, to ca- cause outrage. Uh, Some people call it shitposting, uh, which might not be political, but here it does have a political element to it. You want to make people angry. Um, It's a bit of a rebellion in a sense, but it doesn't stop there and it quickly can turn quite malicious. Uh, But it's really um, one of the driving forces is is that kind of urge to cause outrage. Um, And um, Over time, you normalise these ideas, Uh, you normalise these racist conspiracy theory ideas, anti-Semitism and so on.
0: Patrick's experience of seeing young people consume extreme content and then be radicalised by it is really hard to hear. But it's teachers who most often see this up close. I asked Jackie, a subject teacher at a school just outside London, what happens in the classroom when young people are exposed to this stuff?
2: I think that's a persistent challenge, Um, and every time you're teaching a lesson, the dynamics within the classroom are different, so it's sort of, it can manifest itself in different ways, but you want a classroom to be a safe space where students are confident to express their opinions, um, whatever they may be, and they can be, you know, so that you can um, challenge them within that environment. But then at the other end, exactly as you say, there is this balance between what if a student is going to express an extreme view that is gonna have um, an impact on other people within that room and um, potentially a harmful impact on other people in that room. So it's, it's a very, it is a fine, fine line um, to walk and I haven't, got a, yeah, I haven't got an easy answer to it. It's just one that you're consistently uh, mindful Uh, That you want people to express their views. You don't want them just to self-censor, and you know, in which case you would never know who had a a more extreme view. Um, But also, you have to be mindful of the other students in the class and the harm that that, um, opinions can can cause.
0: It's a long time since I've been in a a school, and I I, I mean, I don't know uh, many teachers. What what happens when um, someone does express those extreme views? do they get challenged in the class by other students and and where does it go if um if they continue to kind of express some of those yeah, ideas it's
2: difficult to give a, a sort of um an answer that would be a blanket answer to that because i think different teachers will have uh, different views on how to respond to that type of um type of view some people will engage in a conversation in terms of um you know, challenging that student to perhaps rethink or at least think about their views, because I don't think a student has, that. none that I've taught have ever changed their mind by being told you're wrong or be, you know, that's not acceptable to say. Um, And so sometimes as a teacher, if somebody has said something, um, obviously there is a line if it was completely, um, depending on how extreme it was, it might sometimes there might be a need to actually remove the student from the classroom um, and deal with it later if it's something that is is clearly offensive i would certainly as a first my my first response would be to ask them a question um, about it and get them to actually think about whether or not they mean it as it is coming across because i think classrooms are that you know it's one of the reasons why i'm a teacher i think uh, to encourage people to think Um, However, other teachers might feel that saying, you know, that's a view, it's not a view that should be expressed here um, and I will talk to you about it later. So there's there's the two responses, I think. Either yes, engage um, and challenge and question or sort of acknowledge and signal to the rest of the class that that's not an acceptable view um, to express and I will talk to you later about why not or we'll have a chat about it later. So I think they're your two responses really as a teacher.
0: Do you see examples of quite extreme ideas coming up in class? I mean, maybe you don't want to give specific examples, but, I mean, we, we we see a lot of young people sharing extreme views on social media in the course of our research. Presumably those must come up from time to time in the classroom yeah, too. Yes, certainly.
2: And I think, especially because, like I say, I do think of my classroom as a space where people should be able to express their views and, and um, to have those challenged where um, where appropriate. So I've definitely seen and heard examples of Islamophobia, um, people who are have watched conspiracy theories, whether it's about 9-11, um, because that's a topic that will sometimes come up in, in schools in history. So I've seen conspiracy theories talked about. Um, students have expressed uh, favourable views saying that they support Britain first or Tommy Robinson and organisations such as that. Um, and. Yeah, you do have instances, I would say, of of Islamophobia, homophobia, uh, sexism, misogyny. Those views do get expressed in classrooms.
0: It must be difficult to balance the, uh, the need to let people express themselves and to discuss some of those issues with the need to protect other students in the, in the class as well from hearing those kinds of views expressed.
2: Yeah, I think it can be very difficult because the thing about teaching is you plan the lesson, you never know what responses there are going to be. So when you are in a situation where a student, you know, says something homophobic, you want to almost um, question that and 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 challenge them on that view. But also, you like you say, there are students in the class who could be caused real harm from being exposed to those views. So it's it's a fine line um, to talk. And I think sometimes the best way of dealing with things is not within the classroom setting when there is an audience of 30 students. So one of the things that I would always do, if ever I had, whenever I've heard instances of any of the things that I've mentioned, um, would be to log a referral to the safeguarding lead within the school. Um, and some schools deal with this differently as well. So I've worked in schools where there are specific equalities um, representatives. Who will keep a track of something called prejudice related incidents so if if a view is expressed in a classroom um some schools do this better than others but i've worked in a school where for instance it would be logged as a prejudice related incident and there wouldn't be a punishment for it but there would be a conversation around what they had said um and i think having a record of of the views that have been expressed is important because that's when you might identify patterns of radicalization if there is um, you know, if these views are popping up um, persistently across, across the school.
0: I want to finish by asking you, how hard is it for teachers to, to track these, you know, what, what issues are coming up? You know, there's such a, um, a deluge of this content online. How easy is it for, for teachers to, to follow it themselves or to receive the training they need to be able to, to spot this kind of material?
2: I think very difficult because even if you've attended all of the statutory training that you need to um, in this area, such as, you know, the prevent training, um, it's very generic. And it's, you know, there's so many different types, different things that students could be being radicalised into. Um, And I think in particular, there is very little good accessible information that I've come across um, on what to look out for in terms of uh, the far right and um, and yeah uh, far right views. so I think as a teacher um, you might hear something expressed that causes you concern and you register it but I think there might be an awful lot that you're missing because your training was quite generic um, and perhaps a couple of years ago um, I think it's it's very difficult.
0: It's so frightening to hear about people in their early teens being exposed to these views and buying into them. This is one of those moments when it's hard not to feel despair at the scale of the challenge. I asked our education and training director, Owen Jones, if there is really anything that can be done. So, Owen, is it is it possible to fix this gigantic problem? Like how how do we tackle something like this?
3: When people see the scale of it and realise just how Bad, it's become sort of sort of crept up on people. Uh, it it looks scary and almost uh, unfixable, but schools have dealt with bigger challenges. Uh, like in recent times, you've had this sexing epidemic that seems to be curbed, and students now understanding of, of when it's not not appropriate to do that sort of uh, activity. I think this is the same. If we can, teachers are fantastic at their jobs. Uh, there's a reason why most people come out of school with very good educations. Uh, if we give them the right skills and the right knowledge, then their experience and, uh, and their teaching ability to, to run high quality schools, I think they're more than capable of being able to deal with this, just given the right knowledge and in the right way.
0: It's such an inaccessible topic. I mean, teachers are busy enough as it is, they're not spending their time researching this stuff. You know, how do we give them that knowledge? How do we arm them with the resources that they need?
3: Yeah, I think that is true to an extent. And I think that people do get bogged down like any job in the in the day-to-day running a bit, like marking and lesson planning, which takes up hours of people's time. But also people get into teaching normally because they want to do good. Um, they're, they're very in very intelligent people, very skilled in their fields. Uh, they could probably earn more money in other sectors, but they've chosen teaching because they want to create well well-rounded um, young adults at the end of the end of the day. So I think, although it is a big ask, I think most teachers are actually are concerned by the welfare of their students and not just their tutor group, but their, their pupils as a whole. But I think it's yeah, it's up to people like ourselves, and how do we present the way that is the most accessible, given the time constraints teachers are under. And I think things like uh, this book we're putting out, very easy to read, very easy to flick through to find the right information. Uh, we do CPD sessions where they're only an hour long. We're free of charge to any school in England and Wales. I think there is stuff out there. It's just getting it in the, in, the, in the right time, the right place for the teaching profession.
0: So let's talk about the book for a second. That's really why, why we're here. Um, for, for those people who are teachers listening to this, you hopefully have got one posted to your school, but for anyone who's listening who's not a teacher, just to just explain what this resource is and, and what it's intended to do.
3: Yeah, so we've noticed in the last few years is that there's been a change in the way that the uh, the extreme right wing talk and they use the um, and their, their language, and we noticed that uh, some of the prevent sessions are a bit out of date now, and we're worried that students can be using extreme right wing uh, messages and language in the classroom without people the people who need to know being aware. So we've produced a resource which is. Uh, extremely up to date um, with the with the latest going on in extreme right. To give to equip teachers with the right knowledge in a in an accessible and easy to use manner as as possible.
0: The, the material in this book is really disturbing. I mean, it's hard enough for teachers to read it, but it's you know, really upsetting to think that of kids being exposed to this some of this material. But I mean, could you just give an example of? one or two of the things that we're trying to make sure teachers are aware of? What's in the book that, that we're, we're, we're flagging up for them?
3: Uh, there's a movement called the In Cell Movement, for instance, which is growing in popularity. Uh, this cell stands for involuntary celibacy. So students, not just students who are, are virgins, like many students are, but ones who believe they're incapable of ever finding a sexual partner, ever finding love. And their blame for this is women. That uh, through feminism, that's empowered women uh, to have a sexual choice, and that means that they are they are sort of frozen out of 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 the dating world, uh, whereas they believe their right as a man is that they can sleep with whoever they want it 's a very misogynistic ideology, and they use words for um, men who are <clears throat> more attracted than them or women who are, who they perceive as sleep around uh, but not with themselves, and they find they get angry at that. things like Chad and Stacy. Uh, these words just which i think if you just heard in your tutor group you wouldn't think anything of it it sounds sort of like a an australian character on a soap show um but it actually that is for us is a red flag that that child has probably been interacting with some very very dark messaging boards uh, online so it's just it's small things like that that we're trying to get teachers just to be a bit more aware of so that when they're doing their safeguarding duties especially especially dsls that they're just aware of the modern nature of the extreme right wing and just how far reaching it is it's more than just um, spousing racism these days unfortunately
0: and what do you th- what do you think places hope not hate um, in a position where we can can do this
3: we've got a fantastic research team that are on the front line um, they use primary research they delve into these groups, they understand them, we publish uh, weekly uh, articles on what's going on in, the, in these groups. So I think we're not a company or a charity using second-hand information. We're not going through um, academic archives to try and pull things together. This is our primary research. This is, this is bang up to date. And it's, I think it's the best for this end of safeguarding, Is the best resource out there in the country.
0: I mean I've read it and it is a it is an incredible uh, resource I mean it's disturbing that young people would be exposed to this it's hard for teachers to read but also alarming that young people are exposed to any of this kind of content mm-hmm. it sounds so important but what do you what do you say to people who make the case that dealing with this in the classroom when it comes up is sort of dealing with the the symptoms not the not the not the Problem. I mean, the people, young people, are able to find this material on social media. Isn't it really for social media firms to crack down rather than for teachers to have to clean up the mess at the end of the end of the conveyor belt, if you like?
3: I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, really, isn't it? It's quite—it's it's very easy to argue both cases, um, and I'm certain those people that have got have got a point that social media firms, among others, have got a responsibility to to control or monitor what's on their site that they're public, putting out there in a public sphere. But on the same same. Uh, wavelength if we can uh through the education sector reduce demand for this material then this goes back to where it was say in the early noughties where it's just a bunch of a small bunch of um racists in back rooms of pubs talking amongst themselves and no one really paying attention to them i think if we can if we can equip students with what's What's right and what's wrong? Because there is a there is a grey area here where I think lots of people don't understand the difference between say, being encouraged to critically think about a subject and actually what is extremist material, especially for some younger teenagers. And we've had stories where teenagers have brought in extremist material into the classroom, thinking they've been done a, a good thing by thinking outside the box. They just don't understand where the lines draw, where the line has been drawn. So I think if we can, through through the education sector, we can reduce demand for it. These people will come demotivated. They will uh, be less inclined to, to maintain these sites, maintain these social media accounts, and hopefully through that, uh, they'll they'll fade away, like we saw. So twenty years, we thought we were seeing twenty years ago.
0: And I want to want to finish up, um, just bringing it back to, um, you know, really what Jackie was talking about just now, the the consequences of this material. Like sometimes when it's reported in the media. Um, it's, it's it can be quite um, sanitised, but can you talk for you know talk about the consequences in the classroom of people having been exposed to this material? Is it disruptive? How does it impact other students around um, uh, uh, kids who have been radicalised? What is the impact in the real world?
3: Thanks for bringing that up. That's not something that's really mentioned much about the impacts in the classroom, and I think people forget that you haven't got to have large numbers of of students um, accessing this material believing in it and then uh, spreading around the school to have a massive impact if you've got a classroom of 30 students and one child is is spreading racist um propaganda it can have a huge effect on the 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 students that direct whose communities are directly affected by this language so you've got uh, students students of colour most outside cities most most schools are monocultural you're going to have a class with only one or two non-white students in it you're going to have a class of only one or two uh, religious minority like muslim or, or or jewish students in that classroom and if you've got someone saying the holocaust didn't happen who's who's grandfather and grandmother were a part of the holocaust that's going to have a huge impact on the, the how they how safe they feel in that particular classroom when they're there to learn chemistry not to talk about you know whether the holocaust happened or not so uh, yeah it, it doesn't take much to create a very very hostile and uh, nasty atmosphere in, in, a, in an education environment by one child feeling empowered enough to go around spreading this stuff
0: how are we getting this Uh, book out to teachers how can do teachers need to contact us for it are we sending it out how how are we how are we getting it to people
3: so every single secondary school in england and wales is getting a free copy uh being posted to them uh this month uh for those outs that fall outside of of that category um we are more than happy to provide them a copy so primary schools um uh, special education needs uh, institutions Uh, if you get in contact with us uh, education at hope not hate.org.uk we'll happily give you a copy
0: As Owen said, do get in touch if you're a teacher and want a copy of Signs of Hate for your school. Ultimately, the support of members is why the Hope Not Hate Charitable Trust was able to do this work. If you're a member, thank you. If you want to join and ensure this work goes on, you can become a member by going to charity.hopenothate.org.uk. Thank you for listening. And please, if you have a chance, leave a rating and review because doing that helps get the algorithms to promote our podcast to more people. Thank you to Owen, thank you to Patrick, especially thank you to Jackie, and thank you all for listening.